Welcome to an all-new episode of Close Talking. I am one of your co-hosts, Connor McNamara-Stratton. And I am your other co-host, Jack Rossiter-Munley. And we are at day seven of seven of Haiku Week. It is the end of National Poetry Month. It is the end of Haiku Week. We've had a wonderful time uh, frolicking about uh, the land of Haiku. I hope you've had a, a good exploration as well. And quickly before we dive into the episode, as usual, I would just like to say that if you like this series or if you like our episodes in our regular format where we read a poem, talk about the poem, and read the poem again, it would mean the world to us if you hopped over to the iTunes store or Apple Podcasts, as it's also called, and left us a rating and review. Those are by far the best way to help us find new listeners, and it makes us feel so good to know that we are doing something that is meaningful to all of you out there. So... If you have the time, and if you like what we're doing here, a rating and review would be fantastic. It's funny you should say the land of haiku, Connor, because so often haiku are associated with nature. And that's one of those gentler rules about what should be in a haiku is that it should in some way maybe reference the season, reference what's going on, particularly in the natural world around the individual writing it. But... As with any good poetry form, it's not always about one thing. It's not always about nature. And in fact, there are many haiku that are about non-nature subjects and are about politics, for instance, or any number of other things. But I feel like that's the subject that might be most removed from nature. Um, And in all of our episodes up to this point, we've sort of gotten into the parameters of the form in a little bit of a more technical way that kind of goes after an implicit question of what is haiku. And in looking in this final episode, we're getting a little bit into the question of like, why utilize this form here? What is special about haiku that says something another form wouldn't about this particular topic um, moving beyond nature? Yeah, and just a little mini rant. A bone that I have to pick is the problem with the idea that haiku is always about nature is not just sort of an inaccurate reduction of the form, which is quite variable. But for better, and here I'm talking about for worse, haiku has often served um, as a kind of embodiment or a microcosm of Japanese culture, uh, at least the way that it's taught in the U.S. Um, And, you know, I feel like there's a big sort of, perhaps you could say fetish of Japanese culture, what Americans think of as that, as this kind of, you know, super uh, appreciation of nature and like, um this romantic but also you know enlightened zen type thing um you know and you have the bonsai trees and things like that um which and all these you know things that are used to create that assumption certainly exist but i think the danger that Um, we as an American reader or a reader, um, you know, anywhere that's outside of Japan, um, by 
sort of reducing haiku to capital N nature, um, we risk reducing our idea of Japan as one that is, you know, wholly obsessed or embodiment of, you know, appreciating nature. Um, when, of course, as with every culture, there's infinite variability. Um, so that's the end of my mini rant. Um, that was a perfect mini rant. I think that really encapsulates why it's important to go beyond looking at just haiku that are about nature. And, and there's a lot more to the form than just that. Yeah, there's so much to the form. Um, you know, one, one thing, and this is what you mentioned, is, is haiku actually was highly political um, in Japan um, and elsewhere, too. Um, but even during World War II, um, a lot of haiku actually were censored, um, which I didn't know until recently. Um, and it was actually only certain haiku that, and this is quite common in a lot of situations, but that sort of praised, you know, were about valiant going to war and rah, rah, rah. Those were allowed to be published, but some of the haiku that expressed, um, you know, other sentiments or depicted a much more grim picture of what the war was, um, those were often censored. One example that I really love is by the poet Saito Sanki, um, who was writing, uh, you know, around the time of, of World War II. And this one goes, machine gun, between his eyebrows, a red flower blooms. Oof. Yeah, which is so intense. And it's actually just a, to me, a perfect embodiment of this point, which is it actually makes use of nature um, to describe among the more unnatural things, which is, you know, um, the violence of, of guns and such. Um, and, and also I, I just, it's like, I feel like maybe now there's some, the whole blooming blood maybe happens more often, but the way that it comes in this poem is just so the idea of, of the flower blooming life blooming, but that depicting the gushing of blood and signaling the end of someone's life, um, I don't know, really hits home. Definitely. A poem that does something very similar, I think, is found in an unlikely place, the Cornell Law Review by Louis J. Sirico Jr., who is a law guy, um, had this article in it called Vietnam Haiku, where he'd written several haiku about the Vietnam War. And one of them is sparks from the flames, fireflies which mm. is about uh, people who were burning their draft cards is what he's sort of putting into, into haiku form there. And again, it's this like, you get this suspicious or creepy or unnatural intrusion of nature at the end. So it still makes a reference to something natural, the fireflies, 
but these fireflies are literal fire in this and they're deadly and they're not actually what they're meant to be. Another one from that series is uh, bombs echoing the holiday firecrackers, which is a pretty straight ahead comparison. But again, when it's put in the context, this is about the Tet Offensive. The reason it's called the Tet Offensive is because it was conducted over a holiday. And even though the objectives of the Tet Offensive failed, the psychological impact of it and the, the, the overall impact that it had was, is, is usually seen as a major turning point. Um, and the Tet is the, the New Year celebration in, uh, in Vietnam. And so again, these are poems that are sort of dealing with a war experience and are describing unnatural events or sort of perversions of events. So again, bombs echoing the holiday firecrackers, the natural progression there is for these to be holiday firecrackers, but they have been turned into bombs. And so it's not the natural world, but here it's the natural order of events that's being upended and destroyed and, and curdled into something repugnant. Wow. I love those. Um, one more from World War II that I loved. Um, this is by uh, Shimomura Hiroshi. And he was actually a physician um, in Nagasaki uh, when the bomb hit. And so this one is sort of thought to be written after the blast. Carrying cadavers under burning sky, a garbage cart. Oof. Yeah. And then another one by him. The one who begged water, now a corpse. Westerly sun sets. Wow. Yeah. Um. I mean, what this also highlights is just how powerful an incredibly short poem can be. Those cover yeah. so much ground so fast and like you're just in it emotionally, even though it's, you know, a dozen words long. Yeah, I think that's so right. And and it's like, you know, in the same way that the, the cliche a picture can paint a thousand words, like a haiku can paint a thousand words in some sort of way. Like it, it's, it's, um, it's use of language and the way that the both the precise images, right? But then the pairing of images and the pairing of moods sort of create such a a complex when it's done right sensation that you really, you know. You're not just seeing something, but you're seeing something and um, you're also feeling what the seeing is like, I think. That's a really nice way of putting it. I agree. Um, but also in moving beyond nature, it's not always like war and desolation and politics and gloomy matters. For instance, this one by Jack Kerouac is like a little bit self-reflexive and very much in a jokey way. Um, this one is haiku shmaiku. I can't understand the intention of reality. 
which is like a little bit silly, a little bit poking fun at the form itself. Yeah, it's great though. I mean, lots to be said about Kerouac. Yeah, we, primarily that he is a real shithead. Yeah, that one, that part, that part of it. Um, okay, another one by him that I think is funny. What is Buddhism? A crazy little bird blub, <laughs> which I like. What's a bird blub? I don't know. Is that where the internet term burb comes from? Did Jack <laughs> Kerouac give us burb? Maybe. Um, okay, here's just some other ones that I like. It's like some are about nature, but it's like clearly not. It's a different perspective, you know? Um, well, I think as with anything, there's sort of a scale, right? There's ones where nature is the focus. There's ones where nature happens to come up. And then there's ones that are just not about nature at all. And I think some of these ones are ones where like nature happens to be present in some form, but it's very much not the focus of what's going on. Yeah, I think that's really right. Um, this one is by Nagata Koi. Great late spring, muddy, mud, 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 muddy. That one's so good. And that's actually like a literal, it's like Doran, Doro, 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 Doran or something um, in the Japanese. Uh, anyway, that one gives me great delight. That's like how you can make a whole sentence just out of the word buffalo. Yeah. <laughs> like seven it, times in a row. Yeah, it absolutely is. That's so right. Beyond haiku too there is an interesting form called the high bun, which in thinking about expanding our idea of what a haiku is or what the haiku, um, what's behind it, um, there's a form that I think actually was sort of started by Basho, which is the high bun, which is basically prose, um, but with haiku elements i believe um, yeah it's essentially prose and then haiku sometimes then more prose and then another haiku it's basically prose and haiku married together and the haiku that is paired with the prose ideally takes an idea or a moment within the prose and turns it into a haiku and that haiku is either exploring that moment or exploding that moment or just like taking something that's in in the prose and making it different for the reader. That's a terrible blah way of saying it, but it's just, it adds more meaning. And the prose that is included in the Hybun is also supposed to be not terribly long and ideally fairly pointed about what it's trying to say. So it's kind of like flash fiction or just flash writing mixed with haiku because it doesn't have to be fiction, obviously. Okay. We got to read some. Yeah, we do. Okay. You found this great one by Terry French. Yes. Do you want to read it? I would love to. Um, the title of it is which is SH at sign hashtag exclamation point. So it's like you said a bad word, but in a comic strip. And the bad <laughs> word is the one for poop. Uh, so this is Shit by Terry French. 
My husband held his phone screen out toward me. Did you mean to send me this? It's written that way. I say, I just told him about his surprise retirement party. The text was supposed to go to a friend. Not the first time I've sent a text to the wrong person. There is the time I copied and pasted some angry tirade my sister sent to me back to my sister instead of to my best friend. That did not result in the sympathetic response I desired. And the time I thought I was complaining to a coworker about the boss, but instead sent it to... Well, you can imagine how that went. I did not get a raise anytime soon. Damn my thumbs! No smooth ride. Backpedaling through the shitstorm. <laughs> I love that. And I particularly like the use of backpedaling because to me it immediately brings to mind that frantic scroll you do back up through the text. If you've sent one that's wrong, you're just like, oh, shit, 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 shit. What did I do? What did I do? What did I do? Um, and it's not like literal backpedaling, but that is the immediate, like, I, I think this is such a nice illustration of how the haiku can make that moment like even more immediate, even realer, even more condensed. Um, I think part of the reason I also go to that with backpedaling is that it's no smooth ride and the smooth surface of a phone. I'm just, it just puts me right there. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. And so like the, the haiku part is, which I think Jack indicated, but no smooth ride backpedaling through a shit storm. Um, yeah. It's so funny. Cause it's, it's like, yeah, it just, it gives you the, the um, like emotional lawler punch of what the narrative was kind of, um, yeah, the, yeah, the prose describes so well this situation and then the haiku just makes you feel it. This one is by Marilyn Humbert. It's called Drought. Standing at the edge of the lake. Foam from lap and ripple of wind-blown water nudges my bare feet. Looking west across barren vastness of grassless plains. The sun sliding towards the horizon and cloudless sky of deep emerald blue touched with the beginnings of peach and apricot sunset. The water is cold, the wind is cold. The clicking of my camera disturbs the two remaining ibis foraging in shrinking shallows. Dwindling water supplies relegated to page 12. Winter nears. And we should mention that both of those haibun are from the Contemporary Haibun Online, a quarterly journal of contemporary English language haibun, which you can find at contemporaryhaibunonline.com. And with that, well, it wasn't a haiku, it was a haibun. But with that haibun, we conclude our close-talking week-long celebration of haiku to close out Poetry Month. It's been a wild ride, and it's been a lot of fun. I hope you guys have fun and maybe learned a thing or two or maybe unlearned a thing or two. Um, 
if you enjoyed it, because this is something that we were like, oh, this would be interesting to do, but we've never done it before. It could be crazy, could be silly, could be useless. Um, you know, let us know uh, if you enjoyed it, if you thought it was like pretty good, but maybe it should be like something else. Um, if you want to see it again, we would love to know because we're really um, throwing darts at the old uh, sound. I mean, we're just throwing darts at sound, which really doesn't work out that well most that was of the very time. Poetic, Connor. <laughs> throwing darts at sound, half a country apart, they dreamed together. Haiku. Uh, wow. Okay, that's we got to <laughs> stop now. Uh, happy National Poetry Month, Jack Jesus. That's my haiku. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Anyway, happy Poetry Month, everybody. We do want to know if you liked this, if you didn't like it, all that stuff. Let us know. Uh, and we'll be back to our regular every other week posting starting again in May. So... We'll see you then. See you then. Hey, everybody. Jack here. In the first episode of Haiku Week, we talked about the Renga, the linked verse form that the haiku evolved from, and Connor and I began writing our own Haiku Week Renga, adding to it every day. So now, here is the grand conclusion, the final form of our Haiku Week Renga. Spotting Brooklyn blossoms from the plains, a snowless white as snow. The air is cold with pine, or is it juniper? And does it matter? A raven pines for the needle to move on the sun's seething hot reply. A long walk and a quick stop. Cold chocolate spring. No one else likes sweet tang, chocolate chips, orange sherbet, solitude. The man on the train says Romulus killed his brother, a long way from 6 a.m. All Roads Lead to Lupin was a memoir I never wrote, or maybe fanfic. Spelly arms and fried stupid, I'm witched into stunning, wizarded a world away. Certain alphabets bake dry in the oven without oil or legs. I etch my displeasure one minute at a time. Little things are never secondary, as pollen dust speckles the wasp. The park is farther when the wind stops. Six-string solace. Never there and always here, the air is with us generous still. Peace at the end. The beginning of all things. Hey everybody, Jack here. Thank you so much for listening. This is the grand finale, the conclusion, not just of Poetry Month for 2019, but also of our special Haiku Week, our special series where we did an episode a day for an entire week on one subject. If you enjoyed this series, we would love to hear from you and know that. If you'd like us to do a series like this on another form or another topic in poetry, please let us know that as well. 
If you have thoughts about this, or if you have thoughts about our regular episodes, which we will be returning to starting in May on the second and fourth Friday of every month, we will do our normal format where we read a poem, talk about a poem, and read the poem again, analyzing in between, really digging in there, messing around. If you've got suggestions for poems for us to cover or thoughts on any of our previous episodes, you can send them to us in all sorts of different ways. The very best way for lengthier thoughts is our email address, closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media. Our Twitter account is at closetalking. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn, and Connor is at Hot Sauce Boxed. If you want to find us on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash close talking, and we have a newly active Instagram account, which is at close talking poetry. We look forward to hearing from you, and we will see you back here with our next new episode in May. <laughs>